Well, I see that my, my sweetheart, my wife, got to join us. I thought she was going to have to be in the Sunday school uh, room this morning. But uh, when we met, she was a preschool director. And uh, I was lay pastoring a young adult group, and she was a part of that group. And she had a parent uh, whose child was in her preschool who baked cakes for a living. And every once in a while, she would bring Tammy a cake. And so this one Friday night when our group was meeting, Tammy brought one of those cakes, and she puts it down on one of those white plastic tables, and she goes, oh, man. Kevin, you've got to smell this cake. And I'm thinking, what is it, like vanilla? Is it chocolate? What? And so I go to smell it, and she just shoves my face right into the cake. And I'm thinking, who are you? <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, we were shopping. We, we got back home in the evening. And my oldest son, Kyle, had cleaned the game room. He had cleaned the dishes, and he was making us dinner. A teenager, and I thought, who are you? <laughs> I remember when we went as a family to Cold Stones. I got a like it cup, you know, like it, love it, gotta have it. I got a like it size, and, and I picked out oatmeal cookie batter. And we sat down as a family outside at the table, and when I, typically when I eat, I, I think I rest my arm uh, on the table, you know, and I eat with my other, and I, but I think when I eat ice cream, it's more like, like this. And this oatmeal cookie batter, it was so good. I was thinking to myself, I have, I should have got a gallon of this. Like this little like it cup is not gonna be enough. And then I watched in horror as my wife took her little white plastic spoon and she stabs it into my ice cream. <laughs> and she brings this giant scoop back to her face and she eats it and I think, who are you? And she says, what is yours is mine. We're going to, this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, you get to a place where you might say, Jesus, like, who are you? Like, I thought I knew who you are, but in this passage, I, I'm kind of confused. So let's look at this scripture, and let's see what we can figure out. In Mark chapter 11, we're going to start, Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. The next day, it says, I'm getting a little ringing here. The next day, that is, so the next day is, is Monday. Yesterday in our story was Sunday, or as we would call it, Palm Sunday. That's when Jesus came up from Jericho. He gets his disciples. He gets to Bethany. He tells his disciples, go get that donkey, that young donkey. They bring it. He gets on the donkey. He rides into Jerusalem, and the people recognize him as that's Jesus. Like, that's the Messiah. He's the one who everyone's saying is going to free us from the oppression of the, the Roman government. And they wave palm branches, and they say, Hosanna in the highest, and they cheer, and, and Jesus rides in. But he's riding on a, a donkey, not a war horse. He's not coming to conquer. All, he is coming to conquer sin, but he's not coming to conquer a military. 
He's coming in peace, peace for the people. And when Jesus gets into Jerusalem and he gets off the donkey, what does he do? The first thing he does is he goes into the temple and he doesn't form a militia. He does a reconnaissance mission around the temple. And he's looking at everything and he's examining and he's, I believe he's starting to grieve immensely because of what he sees. Three o'clock in the afternoon, the temple shuts down and Jesus goes back to Bethany where he's going to stay each night of this last week of his life before he's crucified. Now, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us if he was staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus in their home or if he was staying with Simon the leper or if he was staying outside in the open field. But on Monday morning, I believe he gets up before the sun even rises. And I believe he's, he's praying, he's communicating with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's getting his assignment or assignments for the day. He's learning what he's going to be doing and saying. He's praying for the people of Israel. But he gets up, and this is what the Bible says. As they were leaving Bethany on their way back into Jerusalem, Jesus was hungry. We know he was fully God, yet fully human. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And I believe that Mark is telling us the story from the perspective of the disciples. I believe Jesus knew what he was going to find or not find. But when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And he says it in a way that's loud enough. He says it in a way that's purposeful. He says it in a way that's intentional for the disciples to hear it. And they did hear it. Last night, we had tacos for dinner. My wife, for a gringo, for a white woman, she makes pretty good tacos. And my son Kyle was about six. Caleb was about three. Kyle liked tapatio sauce. And so he's putting some on his taco, and his little brother sees, and he goes, I want some. And I said, no, no, Caleb, listen, uh, that's, it's, it's spicy. Like, it's, if you have some, it'll, it'll kind of hurt your mouth. No, I want some. I, no, no, listen, it's like, it'll be like, like hot. Like, it'll feel like your mouth is like, not that you know what burning feels like, but your, your mouth will, no, no, uh-uh, I want some. Uh, and he's throwing like this tantrum. And so I'm now realizing why my wife and I were led to buy this book by James Dobson called The Strong-Willed Child before he was even born. But I'm also thinking, this is a teachable moment. Give me his plate. Here, son, have a taco. Have some hot sauce. And I have to admit, there was this little sadistic part of me in my heart that felt satisfaction when I heard the words, water, mommy, water. But in a very passionate way, like water, mommy, water, you know. And Jesus throws like what looks like a spiritual tantrum over this fig tree not having fruit. And even so, it wasn't even the season for figs. So 
what is going on? Like, who are you, Jesus? Like, why are you cursing this tree? Like, this is the first destructive miracle I've seen you do, Jesus. Like, all I know is that you do restoration miracles. You do healings. You make things whole. But you just, if you, and if you just curse this tree, then it's, it's going to be cursed. Like, if it's never going to bear fruit again. And if we look at, you know, to, to interpret Scripture, the best interpreter is Scripture itself. And so if we look through the Bible, we know that Jesus, first of all, is the prophet of prophets. He knows every word in the Scriptures. He knows that his Holy Spirit spoke through the Old Testament prophets. And when they did, they, they spoke of the nation of Israel metaphorically as a fig tree. Jesus was also the rabbi of rabbis. He was the rabboni. He was the teacher of teachers. And as rabbis used object lessons from nature, as they used parables, so did Jesus. And Jesus is giving us this prophetic parable all at the same time. Because a fig tree is a deciduous tree. That means it drops its leaves in the wintertime. And, for a, and when a fig tree is beginning to prepare to have fruit for the summer, the fig fruit, the buds of the fig tree grow before the leaves start growing. And so if you see a fig tree with leaves, it's going to have fruit. So here's this tree full of foliage. It's saying, hey, I've got fruit. And Jesus gets there, and there's no fruit. And the nation of Israel was called by God, was, was set apart by God as a nation, not just to be some special nation, but so that through the nation of Israel, the world, all the other nations, could come to understand the loving character of God. That God would be the patriarchal protector, the patriarchal provider, not just of a nation, but of us individually. The tree had its roots in the ground, its branches in the sun. The nation of Israel was, had its, the land that God gave it. It had its blessings from the Lord, but it wasn't producing fruit. What kind of fruit? We shall see. But let me ask you, Christian. You're professing to be a Christian, so are you possessing love? And joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. Let's move on to verse 15. Now, Mark likes to give sometimes a sandwich. He'll tell a story, and then he'll switch to a completely different story, and then he'll finish the first story. And so that's what he's doing here. We have this, this withered fig tree. Now we go to a completely different story. Check this out. On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple area again and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of 
the city, i.e. Jesus and his disciples. So what is happening here? How does this relate to the fig tree? The priests, this is a picture of the temple. So the area right inside the wall is that would be the temple courts. Specifically, that would, one that you see is the, the big area that you see inside the wall. That's called the court of the Gentiles. Now the priests and their families set up a marketplace in the temple courts. Now this is, this is Passover week. And so the city has swollen to probably over 2 million people. There is a lot of sacrifices that are going to be happening for this Passover party. Where they're going to barbecue sheep, basically, for their Passover dinner. And the Israelites are coming from all over Israel. They're not going to be bringing their sheep from far away. They're going to be purchasing sheep somewhere in Jerusalem or doves or whatever, doves for the poor. So the priests and their families have set up a marketplace in the temple courts to which they can sell sheep and cattle and goats, and they began taking advantage of the people. It is said that a a high priest made a very large amount of money just selling doves to the poor people. And in Jerusalem, uh, for example, first century Josephus historian said this, that in 66 AD, there was 256,500 sheep that were offered up for the Passover celebration. That's a lot of business. And of course, when it wasn't the Passover during the year, people would still need to buy animals. Then there was the money changers. You were coming from all over Israel. You had Greek coins and Roman coins on you. You needed to change those out to buy from from the priests for your sacrifice. Or if you wanted to give money to the, to the temple, to the church, you would give a shekel, a half shekel. The temple tax was a half shekel. To do that, you had to exchange your money. So again, people were being taken advantage of through the exchange rates. So people, the priests, the families of the priests, people were robbing the people. But then there was like highway robbery. There were people who were taking a shortcut through the temple, making it like a highway because it was a shortcut to go from a part of Jerusalem to Mount of Olives. And so they were carrying their stuff through the temple courts. So they were robbing God of sanctity for the sake of convenience. And if that's not enough, all this is happening in the courtyard of the Gentiles. Well, this second temple, which is a picture of a model, by the way, because it doesn't exist, the second temple, Herod didn't design the the court of the Gentiles. This was something God had designed so that those who were not Jewish who believed in God could also come to the temple. They could pray to God. They could worship God. But what are they seeing? They're seeing idolatry. They're not seeing any fruit. They're seeing the opposite. And Jesus is putting an end to big business. So now, instead of conquering the Roman military, in a sense, Jesus is conquering his people. Now the priests, now even more than ever, they want to destroy Jesus. The admonition, the warning for us is this. Immorality will lead to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy will lead to enmity and enmity will lead to spiritual death. Here's this tree representing Israel. 
I've got fruit. But it had none. And from the time that the Israelites left Egypt, they were living in idolatry, the, the calf, the idol they worshipped in the desert. And when they entered the land of Canaan, they just couldn't stop worshipping the gods of the nations around them. It was so much hypocrisy. And now in the temple of God, the apex of their culture, the apex of their identity, idolatry. Let's move on to verse 20. We're now beginning the end of our story of the fig tree. In the morning, as they went along, leaving Bethany, going back into Jerusalem, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I know. He says this, have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Ask for the right reasons in the right way for the right things at the right time and you will receive it. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What does forgiveness have to do with all of this? First of all, let me say this, that we translated this story from the Greek, and in the Greek, the word faith implies that it's, it's faith of God, like it's strong faith, it's mighty faith. And if you have this mighty faith, as Jesus is standing near Bethany, he's saying, you can take this mountain, he's standing on the Mount of Olives, because Bethany's on the southeastern side of the Mount of Olives, and from that area in Bethany, you could put that picture up, you can see the Dead Sea. And Jesus says, you could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, that place of deadness over there. And what I think Jesus is saying is this. If you have the faith, God's faith, you can say to this hypocrisy, be gone to a place of deadness never to return. Because faith destroys hypocrisy. Faith destroys hypocrisy. Faith of God. So I'm going to ask you some questions to challenge you. Are you full of leaves but no fruit? Leaves of pretentious piety? Do you appear to have it all together on Sunday, but you gossip on Monday? Do you mention church and God to your friends, but you party hardy just like them? Do you pray for those you love, but never for those you don't like? Do you act calm in public, but at home you fly off the handle? Listen, the world is watching you, your children, your friends, your co-workers, your relatives. They're watching you. So how do we not just profess to be a Christian, but how do we possess the attitudes and the behaviors of Jesus Christ. The home that Jesus was most likely staying in during this last week of his life, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, this Mary 
one, at one time, she falls at Jesus' feet and she says, Rabboni, which means not just my Savior, but Master. Like, it's easy enough. It's easy to want Jesus to be your Savior because who wants to go to hell if there is a hell? I, I want to go to heaven if there's a heaven. But it's another thing to make him your master, to surrender your will to his will. And when we do, he gives us God faith. The kind of God faith that his love comes along with. And that love gives us the desire to live not immorally, but morally. A desire to live in a way that we don't live in hypocrisy and then enmity with God. Augustine said, he's a fourth century theologian, he said this, Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. And I want to kind of close us out with this. Um, do, do you remember in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God, what do they do? They go to a fig tree. And they pull leaves off of it. And then they sew the leaves together and they put them on as garments to cover their shame. The fig leaves on one side is like sandpaper. And on the other side, they've got tiny little hairs everywhere. You would not want to walk down the runway, women, wearing fig leaves. They're really uncomfortable. And God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day because God never loses his temper but he comes in the cool of the day and he has this conversation with Adam and Eve and, and God knows, Jesus knows at this moment that because of what they did, at some point in the future, he's going to become a human being born in a manger and he's going to go to a tree and sacrifice himself so that they can have, they can believe in him, receive his forgiveness throw their hypocrisy into the Dead Sea. And he disciplines them. And right after he's done disciplining them, what does he do? He takes away these uncomfortable garments and he gives them soft leather clothing, animal skins. He didn't have to do that. He's a compassionate God. He's a loving God, and in his compassion, he stands before this fig tree that has no fruit on it, and he warns us and says, guys, you don't have to live in hypocrisy because I'm going to a tree to suffer and die for you because I love you that much. And he says, if you become mine, what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. On the tree, your sin will become mine. And if you believe, your heart becomes my heart and my faith becomes your faith. The kind of faith that can destroy the hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much uh, that you uh, give us you know, stories like this to explain your love and yet your seriousness. You love us enough to warn us and you give us this gauge that if we're walking in hypocrisy, then there's something wrong with our faith. So thank you for that, God. 
if you were just challenged this morning that you're living in some form of hypocrisy, I, I would, I mean, God is telling you this because he wants you to surrender your life, your will to him. He doesn't want that for you. He wants to love you, give you the kind of faith and love to live out the purposes he has for your life in a powerful way. So I'd encourage you in your own time, in the privacy of your own soul, you would reach out to him.